Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children, 18 plus, you are tuned in to the Loan Officer Podcast with me, Dustin Owen, and a very special guest. When I say special, I've been waiting two years to have this lady accept the invite to be a guest. She is from Orlando, Florida, by way of Dallas, Texas. She was the first fintech unicorn to come out of the great state of Florida. She is a badass mom, an amazing wife, and a phenomenal business professional. She is single-handedly out there trying to reshape the way women are treated in business, one entrepreneur at a time. She is Sunira Madhani. She is with, or yeah, with Stax, um, formerly Fat Merchant, which is how I first learned of you, but she has a podcast of her own called CEO School. Sunira, welcome to Loan Officer Podcast. Dustin, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And you did not have to wait two years. It's just been, I've, I've been working on a lot of things. Well, I was nervous and scared. I didn't ask you until like two weeks ago <laughs> and you accepted right away. I should just, you know, act, actually practice what I preach. Yeah. And if you want something, you go for it. Yeah, so I've wanted you on the show. I just haven't found the courage to reach out to you and finally, I think it was, I was doing something at UCF and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what would these college of business students love? I'm like, they would love a FinTech unicorn, someone who has an amazing story and someone who's a she and not a he. That's how I originally mm -hmm. reached out to you. And you're like, well, that date didn't work, but you're like, I would still love to come do your show. And I was like, oh, heart flutter, heart flutter. So I'm grateful to have you on here because like what you stand for is what I want my 15 year old daughter looking up to, yeah. right? What you have accomplished is what anyone in business would want to accomplish, especially knowing you've done all of this before the age of 40, which is amazing. So I was going to do this. I think I'm still going to do this. Okay, do it. I normally, I normally don't. I normally look at people's bios and I'll be honest. I'm like, eh, all right. That bio is way too freaking long. How do I pick like one or two bullet points and let me just use those two bullet points. However, your bio is badass. Like even your bio is on LinkedIn. I'm like, oh my gosh, even her bio is by badass. So y'all bear with me really quick. Oh my goodness, okay. let's do it. All right, so, here, so this is how it reads. So if you're watching me on YouTube right now, you're gonna see me looking down for the first time ever because I normally don't read shit, but I'm gonna read this because that's how well written it is. Sanira is a true trailblazer in the business world. As the founder of Stacks Payments, she built one of America's top 10 fastest growing fintech companies from an idea to over 100 million in recurring revenue, making it a billion dollar technology platform. <gasps> that is true. She is the first female CEO to lead a unicorn out of Florida and has received numerous accolades for her success, including being recognized by Fortune's 40 Under 40, Ernst & Young's Entrepreneur of the Year, Entrepreneur Magazine's 100 Most Influential Women, and Inc. 100 Female Founders, just to name a few. Your bio goes on. You're like, I had no idea it said all of this. Who wrote that for me? Whoever wrote it did a great job, but you know what's even better? Whoever achieved it is an amazing woman sitting across from me. After facing personal challenges as a woman in business, Sonera became a passionate advocate for gender equality and female entrepreneurship. She founded CEO School, a company that empowers women to scale their businesses and change the statistics. 
With less than 2% of female founders ever breaking 1 million in revenue, Sanira is on a mission to make sure her success isn't a unicorn, but becomes the norm. Beyond her professional achievements, Sanira is a top 100 podcast host, something I achieved to become, a mom of two, and an avid traveler. She is a role model for balancing work and life and is determined to destroy the gender wage gap and change the narrative for women in business. Sunira's commitment to empowering women is unwavering and her adventure as a founder and CEO of CEO School is just the beginning of her impact on the business world. Oh, well, thank you. So that's what we have today. That's (laughs) the treat we're bringing this audience. Yeah, it's it's that I'm really excited to be here and I'm excited to hopefully motivate and inspire all the women in the room, but even the men in the room to really achieve and dream big. I think that's a huge part of my story. I mean, I grew up in, in you know, in an immigrant household and I'm sure we're going to get into the background, but I didn't know I could go build a million dollar business, let alone a billion dollar business. Who was it that helped you with that belief system? You know, it was my parents. I grew up with just the most incredible family. I I would say that that's the one thing that I could look back on and say we had a lot of chaos around in terms of um, life and we moved around a ton and my father was a serial entrepreneur as well. Um, And my brother and I went to 10 different schools in 12 years. So it was a lot. It, It was a lot. However, there was always this level of just foundation that we had as a family and just a lot of love and always at the dinner table and just like traditional good values. Um, like just be a good person and good things will happen. Like happen and like you got to work hard for the things and just like traditional good core values that we were built, like that our family was built on. And I would say it's really obviously shaped not only who I am as an individual, but how I lead and just the, you know, the level of like, you know, what is important in life is family first. That's just really been a huge part of my story. I owe a lot to my parents and all the sacrifices that they made. They both um, were immigrants that moved here from Karachi, Pakistan separately. So they, you know, were, you know, immigrants that moved to Chicago. They ended up meeting in Chicago. I was born in Chicago. And then my dad bought his first business and entrepreneurship to my parents was out of necessity. It wasn't because it was cool and sexy like it is today, uh, because they weren't educated. They didn't have an opportunity to be educated. They were firstborn of their families. They found a way to make it to America to really, you know, achieve the American dream and to support their families. Like that's what it was. And so getting to the American dream, entrepreneurship was the only way that my parents could do so uh, because they were working, you know, from the age of 16. And so they saved and bought their first first business, which was a small convenience store. So very traditional, as mm-hmm. you can think of. Uh, and we moved to Dallas. I was one. And then my brother was born in Texas. Uh, and so I grew up in Dallas mo- like half of my life. And so go Cowboys. And uh, so we grew up in Texas. And even within living in Dallas, it was always, you know, the next venture or the next thing. And we moved to Karachi in between. We came back. And so there was like a huge family, like just a lot of a lot of moving parts of it. But we ended up moving to Florida. And when I got here, um, it was like I had moved around so much in terms of like just the level of changes of school primarily. And so I never wanted to leave Orlando. So people ask me all the time how I ended up. So I ended up going to UF because I got a full ride scholarship to UF as a, you know, I think I had just made the the mark to get the Bright Future Scholarship. And 
Um, ended up getting a full ride to UF, so that was a no-brainer. It's a great school, so go Gators, and ended up going to UF. But I never, when I came back, I wanted to have stability in like where I lived, and so that's how. Um, that's why I've been in Orlando for like over 20 years and we built the most incredible business, which I'm sure you're going to ask me about and how I scaled it and all the things, but people always ask like, why Orlando? Like there's this huge tech company out of like by Disney world. And it's like, honestly, it's, I mean, I love the city, but it was only because like, I didn't want to move. Well, that's, I love the fact that you covered that already. I did want to talk about like you went to university of Florida. Yeah. Right. And that, that is a very good school. And obviously by you living in Florida, your senior year of high school, it allowed you to qualify for some of the state-sponsored scholarships, yeah. which you took full advantage of. When you went off to UF, I mean, I'm going to circle back to Fat Merchant and yeah. why it started in Orlando and then later was purchased, right? And and now we we refer to Fat Merchant as Stacks. Yeah. Um, when you went off to college, being the oldest of immigrant parents who were entrepreneurs, did you go off to college thinking, I too am going to be an entrepreneur? Or did you go off there saying... I've watched what my parents have had to go through owning small businesses. Never, ever, ever will I do that again. Yeah, that was it. That was it. That was it. It was it was a ladder. A hundred. I did not want to be an entrepreneur. So if you can imagine, I mean, you're an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. We bring this shit home. Like this is hard stuff. And you are absolutely. Can I swear on the show? Yes. Okay. You're absolutely fucking crazy to do it. Okay. And then you. I saw my parents. And how hard they worked and how the ups and downs were. And that was the reason why we moved around so much because my dad was absolutely crazy. It was like the next venture and the next thing. And he had the bug. And although there was a lot of success that came from it and we were comfortable and it was amazing, it was a lot of hardship too. And so when I went to college, I was the first person in my family to get an education. And all my parents ever wanted for like for me was to have stability. That corporate job. To have the corporate <laughs> job, to have the 401k and to have the health insurance and to not have to make those sacrifices. And also, honestly, as like a... I think any um, like South Asian will tell you like your parents are like doctor or engineer. Like that's those are your two <laughs> options, doctor, engineer or lawyer. And so I went to school to, you know, to I think in, I I think initially it was to be like a dentist is what I what I went to school for. But quickly. Right. I also think it's just it's in your blood, too. And entrepreneurs solve problems. And we're so we can't sleep, we can't eat, we can't breathe, we can't do the things. If we see a problem, we need to find a solution, whether it's our problem or not. And that is just also how I naturally was from a very young age to, you know, all the way, you know, when I did work in corporate. So I went to UF. I did not pursue um, dentistry. Thank you. Organic chemistry was not for me. And I naturally just gravitated towards business. And so I was like, you know what? I'll get my degree in finance and then okay. go the finance corporate route. So I still thought I was going to go corporate. And I honestly didn't even love finance. It was just, it was the hardest business major to get. And I'm just an overachiever. And I was like, yep, I'll go, I'll pick that one. That's honestly how how it happened. And I was like, I'll move to New York. I wanted to move to New York. And I was like, I'll go work in Wall Street. Did you get and a chance to do that? I did not. Okay. I did not get a chance to move to New York, although I go to New York um, quite often. It was one of those things that just did not happen um, for me personally. Um and yeah, so that was a dream to move to New York and go work on Wall Street. And that dream changed too. So I ended up getting a degree in finance. I had all the internships, I did all the things, and but I really loved marketing. And so I ended up doing a double major because I'm an overachiever. And I still stuck with finance because I always figured like, 
you know, some of my mentors had said, well, you can always go get a marketing job with a finance degree. You can't go get a finance job with a marketing degree. Facts. So if you have the finance degree, that will serve you later in your life. And I will say that although like the the technicality of a financial degree, probably I'm not, you know, I didn't end up using in my day to day. I But I do think just getting comfortable around numbers and getting comfortable around the fact that um, you know, in the finance room, there it was there was not a lot of women also getting a finance degree. Most of the women were getting the marketing degrees um, and other and you know and other uh, and other degrees. But I kind of was always one of the only women in a lot of the rooms that I was in, and so ended up graduating with that degree in finance and marketing, and then took a couple of right after school took a position um, with corporate America. I did five years in corporate America. And then I, my last uh, company, I was I was with a uh, payments company. Okay. And that's kind of how this, the yes. story happened of the business, uh, which turned into a, a billion dollar business. But I was working for a payments company, which at the time payments weren't sexy. There wasn't a lot of technology. It was credit card processing. I was gonna say for for the audience yeah. who's tuning in, trying to keep up with us, payments is credit card processing is you walk into that dry cleaner, that grocery store, that sports venue, and they want your credit cards so you can buy their goods. There's actually a company that's behind that who's processing all of that for, for them and typically charging a fee. Exactly. exactly. Sometimes the fee is- Is large. Is large. Yeah. Yep. Sometimes the fee is um, reasonable. Yeah. Sometimes they get you in by showing you a reasonable fee and then three years later, it became a large fee overnight. And you're wondering, why is my revenue down? Why is my revenue down? And that, as I understood it, may have been your aha moment. It was. And so I was working for the credit card processing industry. And it was exactly that. I mean, it was um, low technology. It was a necessity for businesses. I mean, at the time, the it was 70%. I mean, was where we're literally going cashless. So in this is 2011, 2012. And so this is, you know, it doesn't seem that long ago. I mean, 12 years ago, uh, but it's it's eons in, in technology. In the tech world, yes, yes it, it is. It really was eons. And so, I mean, I don't know if you remember, people can maybe remember like when we had, it was not that long ago that there, and there's still signs all over cities that we don't accept credit cards under $20 mm-hmm. or we don't accept American Express. Like I still find all the time that people, some places won't accept American, my, my nail salon still doesn't accept American Express. And so it's because when you use your credit card, that small business incurs a, a fee to accept the credit card. And this industry was super outdated. And the way that they make their money is on every single transaction. And the the small businesses are, you know, really paying the, the brunt of it uh, because their fees continue to go up. They're kind of locked into these contracts. It was a pretty shitty way to do business. And so when I came into this company, Every time I questioned anything, it was like, well, that's just the way that it's done. Like, it's not us. It's just the way that it's done. It's just how our industry works. Everybody does it, right? And again, like you and I, as like the crazy entrepreneurs that we are, we don't accept those answers. So I got curious and a little bit furious on like, what the hell is this? Like, why why is it that every time I'm bringing th- things up, like we don't actually care about our customers. We don't actually care about helping them. We're just take, take, taking. Um, and I was also, as a finance major, I really in- understood the importance of data. Mm-hmm. Like there, And I saw this shift in there's so much data that's coming in on those credit card transactions. 
Like, why aren't we doing anything to help grow those businesses versus just charging the fee for it? And I saw that as an opportunity. And so I went back and I pitched this incredible business plan to my male bosses and said, I have got the like the most revolutionary thing that will change the way credit card processing is done. We're the first to do it. And the world is going to catch on. So it's not about the pricing model that I'm about to propose. We do have to build the tech that will be our moat and the technology around it so that when others copy our model, we will be that we will have this first mover advantage and we will have our technology as like the leader. So the novel idea was we would be the first subscription-based credit card processor, meaning it'd be a flat monthly subscription. And instead of all of the different fees that all the networks charge, we would just pass the, the true cost to our customer directly from Visa or whoever. Um, but the, the small business would just pay that flat subscription. So in essence, it would save the business literally thousands of dollars per month. I mean, we're talking 40% off of their bills. That's how large the margins were. But we would make money, but not just on the subscription, but we would have amazing technology that the business couldn't run without because we would take all of that data and show them insights about their business and help them grow. And then we can add tools and products and services because software is the way of the future. And so they obviously uh, thought I was, I mean, I was 20, you know, six years old. I didn't have much experience. I had just five years of corporate experience. They're like, you know, why should we take this little girl seriously? Well, and you are little. You little. are petite. Okay. Well, yeah. I am five <laughs> feet tall. I am five <laughs> feet tall. But it was, it was truly like, it was the But most, they treated you like, yeah, like you were a 13 year old. They treated me and they yeah. treated me with no value, right? Like yeah. that my, my ideas did not matter. And, and I, and I look back at, you know, I left that meeting, um, just so disappointed and not only just forget whatever it was like I get it you don't want to have to you don't want to it's just something very new for you and change is hard for people and like why should they change it but I think it was the fact that for me I was like I cannot go back and work for a company that just doesn't give a shit right and this whole industry just didn't give it they didn't give a shit and so I got on that plane and that was it I was like this is it I'm gonna go figure this out and what out of curiosity yeah. what, what was your role because you were working for i was a, in sales i okay. was in sales so, so was, you were client interfacing you were yes, going out you were yes, meeting with these entrepreneurs yes. people who probably reminded you of your mom and your dad yes and you're looking at their money as if it's your parents money and you're like wtf yes like we're charging what and we're giving nothing in return there has to be a better way and your better way wasn't even i love that you shared this it wasn't even so much that it's like hey we're going to do this and no one else is going to be able to do it. You're saying this is coming whether you like it or not. Mm -hmm. it, it was as if you were standing on the mountaintop talking to taxi drivers about Uber and Lyft. And you're like, look, whether we become Uber or Lyft or we don't is irrelevant because Uber and Lyft are on, are on its way. You just happen to do it not for transportation, but you're doing it for, for credit did. card processing for we merchants. Did. We did. We and really didn't want to listen to you. Nope. Because you didn't know anything. No, I, I didn't. I didn't know anything, right? And so I left, and uh, little did they know that I did know a thing or two. Yeah. And just with honestly, I mean, I, I, we could sit here and talk about like the whole journey. I mean, it was ten years, but um, the first moment of saying yes was because I was back at that dinner table with my family, and I was so disappointed. I was like telling my dad, and I was telling my brother. My brother happened to be here from California. He was working. He had his own career path, and also went to UF and was working in Silicon Valley for a big tech startup. And what was he doing for the big tech startup? He was doing operational scale for them. He was honestly, my brother's a savant. He was like, 
also very young, like 23 years old, like running North America for a massive company called Anaplan. It was another SaaS software company. Okay. They took it to, um, you know, they took it public and he was one of like the first 40 employees at the company. So he's brilliant. My whole family's brilliant. But I didn't know like about, like I didn't have the confidence that I do now, I would say. And so I was at this dinner table and I'm like, oh, this is so frustrating. And no one wants to believe in this. And my dad just looks at me and he's like, well, why don't you just go do it? Go do it. Like, go build it. And I'm like, dad, where do I go find Mr. Visa? Yeah. Right? Like, how do I go start a payments company? It's not like, you know, I'm starting a, you know, e-commerce store or, you know, a, a retail, like a restaurant or, a, you know, a, you know, some sort of physical store. Like, where do I go build a payment network? And he goes, I don't know, but I know you'll figure it out. And that was it. It was like that that like question that I never asked myself. I'm like, why not me? And so it was- Say that again because more people have to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Why what? not you? Right? Yes. Like, why not you? And I think we limit ourselves because it's, I mean, we are limiting ourselves, right? Why not us? And I, that's why I believe so strongly that representation matters so much because you can't be what you can't see. And maybe if I had more examples of young young 26-year-old brown women that in that moment I wouldn't have been like of course I can go do it. Yeah, look, like, it wouldn't have been she's a question. doing it. She's doing she's it. Doing yeah. It. Yes. Exactly. But I didn't have those stories of success, right? And you if you don't see it, it's hard to see yourself with that. And honestly, I didn't know how, right? Like I truly didn't have the playbook, but I I think that that's what it is is that if you really care about something or if you want to if you want to succeed, you figure it the fuck out. Like you figure it out. So did you quit and just go do this? Yes. Or did you try to do both of them simultaneously? No, I quit. You quit. I quit my job. I moved back into mom and dad's house. Thank you. That yes. was my next. So what yes. did you give up? What did you sacrifice? Everything. Everything. I sacrificed everything and gave myself six months to get this business off the ground. All of my savings um, and bootstrapped you know, it. Bootstrapped, so whatever bootstrapped money you it. had, you, yes. you, you put into this idea. Yes. Whatever little money, no money that I had, I put into this, but I did have, um, like I was relentless and the, how I, how we bootstrapped it and how I got started was truly, I was going door to door. Like I was literally convincing retailers that this thing is going to work. And I didn't even have the network yet, but I was trying to get customers like signed on board. And so I think we could spend a whole 40 minutes on talking about just the initial journey. But long story short, that idea and that determination um, ended up ended up that first year, like getting that company off the ground. March of that following in 2014, we were registered with Visa MasterCard. I had the sponsor banks lined up. We had um, investors ready and lined up. We had paying customers. We had 5 million in payments already running through our system and technology was being built and I had no clue. I'd never like coded a single line of code. And so I was able to rally, and I know there's a lot of questions on like how, but truly it was a sheer, what is the next? I didn't go from A to Z. It was like, how do I need to go from A to B and then B to C and then C to D? And I think I got used to the rejection. Like I think I was rejected so much that I it was almost like laughable. It was like, okay, no problem, like the next person. And so I got so used to being rejected that it stopped phasing me. And I was just heads down saying that we're going to get it off the ground. Yeah. At what point in your journey did you learn that the alphabet had 26 letters yeah. and not 30 or 34? Because I love how you put that because you don't. When you're building a business, it very much, from my experience, you learn as you grow. Right? I don't yeah. know. Sometimes is the best answer because I don't know. 
but I'm confident that the team and I will figure out a way to yes. And, but I'm curious for you, like at, at what point did you have the clarity where you're like, oh, I'm two years into this, I'm three years into this. I know where we're going. I know this alphabet stops at Z and Z is the 26th letter. I think I'm still learning. So okay. I think that anyone who says that they like they know the answer, like that's just bullshit. I am still learning. I'm probably, I would say, I'm still on my early innings. Like, although like, you know, maybe the chapters are like looking different, um, but we did, we exited the company. I sold it multiple times over and I, I learned that you could do all these things, right? Like, and every day I showed up for a job that was harder than the one I had yesterday, but you keep going and you keep showing up. And you've interviewed probably a lot of successful entrepreneurs and like the craziest, like no matter what level of success you have, if you ask the people like who you feel are at the top or where they are on their journey, they just kept going. Like there's no secret sauce to this thing. It's not like there's this like, perfect moment or the silver bullet or you know that one perfect customer comes along or that perfect investor comes along it's not like that like it truly is like you just keep one foot in front of the other and it's consistency and so it took 10 years for me to build that business so i'm you know 36 years old now and i exited in february of this year out of my role as ceo um, and we did incredible things not just for for our industry um, that company that started as Fat Merchant, as you knew it, um, you know, that business evolved and grew, and we did forty billion of payments in the network last year. Wow! I know forty billion. Yeah. Where you were excited when you had five million. Yeah, I was excited when I had one dollar. <laughs> of, of, and <laughs> in, that's and that's payments process, right? Yeah. That's that much of merchant mm -hmm. services going through using your payment processing yeah. method instead of somebody else's. Yeah, that's 40,000 customers. That but what had. started as an idea that your boss has said no to. Yes. You had, and you had some awesome encouragement from your dad. Yeah. Like your dad believed in you and said, honey, you can do this. Yes. My whole, my, my brother, right? So my brother, people I didn't get to mention is that Sal, who was at the dinner table, he ended up moving, like leaving the, like doing the, the startup out in California, leaving all of that success to come join, join me that next year. We have the most incredible co-founder, Jacques, who is my CTO and our technology co-founder. How'd you find Jacques? That's Jacques Fu, right? Yeah, Jacques Fu. At a what a cool name, by the way. I know. He got he's, so lucky. He's French Asian. Okay. Uh, he's awesome. And I met him at a tech accelerator. So exactly like, remember, like I said, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know how to code. I knew we needed software. I, I knew we needed technology. So it wasn't just like the, you know, the, the, the new way of doing things. It was like, how do we protect the moat? And we needed tech and data. And um, I went to a local tech accelerator. Uh, that was here in Orlando was not was not no. the tech Orlando uh, up until honestly up until fat being purchased by stacks and in all the waves and so by the stacks, way I want to correct well, you oh sorry so fat merchant up like the next year that after the exit I renamed it stacks oh. but it wasn't purchased okay. by stacks I'm yes. so sorry no no yeah so so it was it was renamed, yeah. but but there was an exit there at some there point? There was an exit at 2020 for okay. our initial investors where okay. they cleaned up the cap tables. We had private equity that came in at 2020 okay. and then again at 2021. Okay, perfect. So um, I was friends with some of those early investors. Yes. I may sometimes look in a mirror and see one looking back yes. at me. Yes. Um, thank you for that. Um, but Thank you for your belief. Yes. Um, luckily for you, I'm a degenerate gambler. <laughs> I actually, um, true story, I love to bet on the jockey and not the horse. And I was like, that's one hell of a jockey. I'm in. Yes. Um, also, I like the business model. 
Like mm-hmm. in the early ages, if you learn anything about about uh, merchant services and, and credit card processing, there's actually a book that can be sold similar to insurance. And that was actually appealing as an investor yes. is knowing that worst case, if there's a book, we can still sell the book and at least probably get our money back type yeah. thing. Um, little sidebar. Sorry about that. But yeah, so in my mind, it went fat to stacks, but really like, no, it went fat to fat. And then I renamed it stacks. So we know it today as as stacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I got totally sidetracked. I had so, a really good question I was going to ask you based on something you said. Mm-hmm. Where was I going with that? It was about your story and your journey. It was something that I heard you say that I think is important for the audience to really take note of. You're not a computer programmer. Yeah. Like you're a team builder. Yeah. Right. You're a networker. You're a visionary. You're the, the person with the idea um, who is willing to do something about it. Yeah. Right. Who who was like my license plate says, sure, why not? That's my life motto. I love that. Ask me a question. The answer is more than likely to be sure. Why not? Unless it involves like a felony or someone getting like really injured. Um, but yeah, you were like, why not? Why not me? Why not now? Why can't I make this happen? And then let's just go figure out a way to way to guess. And you bet on yourself. And, which was really cool. And I think it's really important for people to know that you did, you don't do it alone and that there is like that team element is so important and getting the right people around you to support you. Um, you don't have to do it alone. I'm sure people do do it alone, um, but I don't like doing things alone or like having fun and doing it with people that I love. And so I got a chance to do it with people that I love and built an incredible team and took it all the way to the exit. And now we're at it again. And so we're, you know, uh, Dustin and I were just chatting earlier. So we're going to be launching our next platform. So you do get the bug and it's not about the success on like, I've had a lot of financial success and done a lot of great things. And Oh, by the way, pe- people know, think that you sold a bit company for a billion dollars. You don't take home a billion dollars. Like you have a lot of investors <laughs> along the way as well. Um, you didn't take home a billion dollars either. Right. Um, although it was amazing to see all of the investors make so much money off of or like incredible amounts of returns that we were able to do for our early investors and it keeps growing. So I do think that there's a lot of myths in business, uh, but you don't have to do it alone. And truly, I think like the biggest lesson is to go big. Like I definitely live my motto in life is like to go big or go home and to give it my all. Like every day I show up to just leave everything that I have on the table every single day. And I'm really proud that that's what I've done for the last 10 years. It's exhausting, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I just have this like level of ambition that just, I'm glad it doesn't get satiated. It's like, okay, great. Like what's next? Like what other mountain can I conquer? And and I think that it, that journey, um, like going through it, uh, just taught me a lot of lessons. And one of the biggest things I also found was that it was really hard as a woman. And it was really hard um, as a, like a woman who wanted to have a family and, you know, you know, have a, have both be a mom and a CEO. And I didn't see examples of that either. And hence your podcast, hence your coaching company. I was going to ask you that early on and and we can get off of, of the stack story because you're right. We could do four days worth of content and learning lessons. And it was really cool. It was you, it was you and Jock. It was you, Jock and your brother. Mm -hmm. And then at this point, just at a, just for the audience, how many total employees right now at Stacks roughly? 400 plus. 400 plus. Like just imagine, imagine you having an idea that grows to so large that it's, it's valued, right? It's valuation is over a billion. That's what makes you a unicorn. You go from one person to two to three, from three to 400. Yeah. Like that's amazing. You're talking, um, no one goes at it alone. 
early on, when did you start hiring or did you ever hire a business coach or a consultant, someone to work with you to make sure that you were um, taking in as many mentorship opportunities and learning from other successes? Yeah, I didn't. I, in the early, I wish I knew that I could go hire mentors and actually, you know, I did have some mentors, but it was kind of organic in the way that it happened. But I would, I would have killed to be in the rooms that I get to be in today. And um, if there is a shortcut to it and you can learn from somebody, I think that that is like the greatest like thing that you can do is like learn from someone else's experience. Oh. So you don't have to, you don't have to learn those lessons hard yourself. It's the number one life hack yeah. that no one talks about <laughs> I know. because people aren't willing to come off their three or $5,000 or their 10 or $30,000. I'm like, but the, to pay 30 grand, let's say yeah. for a consultant or a coach or a retreat, and that's going to shave three years off of your learning curve. I mean, you may bleed yourself dry trying to go three years to learn all those lessons that you could have learned over a course of six months with the right people. Um, so you and, didn't have think, it, but you but did I, have But it. I think, I do think it's also being in the right room too. Okay. So because like, I would say I recently, I've, so I've, you know, in 2020, I launched the podcast, CEO school, which you check know, it out, check it out. It's like over a million downloads on the show and it's been an incredible success. And I get to interview, it's how I built this, but the femme version. And it was really sparked out of, you read the statistic that less than 2% of female founders ever break a million in revenue. And I was so frustrated when I read that statistic. It was out of Forbes and it was during the time of COVID. I had a social following online where I, you know, it was definitely always talking to female entrepreneurs, women who, um, like even the women who followed me were mostly either, like we're all women entrepreneurs. It's just what, that was my vibe online. And I was sharing the real raw and, you know, what, what it was like in the boys club and scaling this business. And I was taking people behind the scenes and, um, during the you know during the pandemic time my instagram was constantly flooded with you know what's happening you know with covid how do i support my business what's with the ppp like so many things and it was very um prevalent to me that there wasn't a community there was fem communities but not necessarily a ceo forum style community that was just really tackling day to day what's taking place led by real ceos and so I would say it is important for whatever coach that you're going to go get or whatever mentor or whatever community you're going to join. I think that there's um, a lot of people who actually don't have the right fucking credentials that just say that they know the shit. So make sure that whoever you're learning from, you've actually vetted that they've done the things that they've done because anyone can go grow an Instagram following or a social following. So honestly, the online space really irks me on how there really is no regulation on anyone can get up and teach anything. However, to Dustin's point, there are a lot of amazing resources now, especially since pandemic. I feel like the online learning space has grown so much and you can really find the most you don't you do not need to um, go get your MBA anymore. Right. And that's how CEO school started. I always said I didn't go to CEO school. I, I don't have an MBA. I finished at UF and that was it. And um, I I just I, I learned as I went. Yeah, you learned by doing. Yeah, I yeah, learned by yeah, doing. You went out and did, which is the best education. Yeah. In my opinion. And no, in my it experience. Is. It is. It it's, is. It's who I loved learning from in university was my adjunct professors. Those that actually worked in the field is who I wanted to learn most from. Fast forward 20 years, I still prefer to learn from you than I would a Harvard professor. Not No knock against a Harvard professor, but they're not a fintech unicorn. Yeah. I want to hear your stories. I've probably been more relatable and are more honest because you're down in the trenches, or at yeah. least you were at some point in the trenches. No, and I think that the 
I think that there's a lot of really great entrepreneurs out there. But truly, like, how do you get the, like, I do think that we need to all be sharing those resources. I think that those, like, the resources are missing, the playbooks, the templates. And so over the last three years, I've literally put together as much as I can for female entrepreneurs. So literally have, like, just library and library full of resources on scaling your business, understanding the financials of the business, understanding scale, how to pitch your business. I mean, I've literally had so much PR without PR companies and like, you know, how I got on all of these lists, how do I actually pitch my story, all of the things. So we've packaged a lot of that up and it's at theceoschool.com. I'm sure you can list it in your show notes and we've got an incredible community. So the theceoschool.com yes. is a resource. Resource center for entrepreneurs, specifically female entrepreneurs, and you can go and you can download a million playbooks right off of the website. And your podcast, The CEO School. The CEO School. It makes sense. Oh, The CEO yes. School. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. And if people want to follow you, Sanira. You can follow me at Sanira Madani. So you can find me anywhere, but prim primarily spend my time on Instagram. So if you are on Instagram, shoot me a DM. Let me know that you came from the Lone Officer podcast and I'll say hello. Awesome. Three questions for yes. you. Rapid fire. Okay, let's do it. Is this the year the Cowboys win the Super Bowl? Yes. And why? Because. Because Dak's that good. Dak is that good. Okay, because Dak's that good and because you said so. Therefore, I'm assuming you and your husband will be there. Yes, we're actually my husband's at the Super Bowl every year, so he helps with the halftime show of the Super Bowl, but that's for another story. I know we have a very interesting family. I have to hit him up for that. I had no <laughs> idea. Um, so we do go to the Super Bowl every year, but I go separately and he goes separately which is kind of fun. I'm always invited by my fun banker friends. When you become successful, people invite you to really cool shit. Ah, mm -hmm. I need to hit you up. I was actually going to go to the Super Bowl last year. Actually, we we're going to go out to Scottsdale because I want to go to the Waste Management. Yes. And it was so Waste Management and Super Bowl were both in Scottsdale the same weekend. Yes, that's crazy. They shouldn't do that. Well, uh, it was, would have been a fun shit show and I was going to try to be a part of it. Unfortunately, my three buddies I was going with, one bailed and the rest of us couldn't get our shit together. Um, all right. So that was the first question. It was Cowboy's question. Second question. What's your favorite tattoo and why? My favorite tattoo. I've got a few. Um, it's one team. It's okay. the one that's like on my arm right here. And as I said, you don't have to do it alone. I really believe in the power of, for me, this one team, this was a core value of a company. And you're like, why does she have her like company shit tattooed on her arm? Like, I mean, it's, we, it was also a family business. And our, my team consists of also like the team at home. And um, you did say in my initial bio that I'm a really great wife. Faisal and Dustin know each other. And that's how this whole show also came about. So um, I have an incredible partner at home and I couldn't do this without him. And incredible business partner with my brother and the most amazing family. And I've got my kids. So I believe like and my team at work. And so I'm a one team girl. So that's. Well, that's my favorite tattoo that I have. Perfect. And then this is one of my favorites. Now, oh. um, you and I don't know each other well enough, but like I grew up in an awesome household, like amazing. Mom grew up a school bus, dad's an electrician. There's certain things at my dinner table, which by the way, we sat at the dinner table we together. Did. Yes, we did Every too. night. Every day. And I am blessed and fortunate because I only went to three schools. Yeah. I find that stability as, wow, that's something that when I look back at me being privileged, yes, not only am I white and male, but I only had to go to three schools my whole entire life, like that stability and structure. But I still left that household craving more. I wanted to learn about ROI. I wanted to learn about the law of 72. I wanted to learn about compound interest. I wanted to learn about how to scale a business. And unfortunately that wasn't a part of the dinner table conversation. So that leads me to my last question. What is something that you wished was taught to you growing up, whether it's household, it could have been Dr. Phillips High School, it could have been University of Florida. 
that it wasn't. And as you became a successful adult, you make sure maybe your girls are going to learn it because it's that important to you. Yeah. Adulting. <laughs> like, why don't they teach adulting in school? Uh, it is so hard to just do normal shit in life. Like, I feel like there's so much responsibility that school doesn't teach you, um, especially when it comes to money. I would say I like for me in particular, we were very transparent about finances and I was taught at a really young age on all the things, but I didn't learn investing early enough. And so I do wish that things like personal finances, investing were taught like or like from a very early age. And I'm trying to teach my young daughters that now, right, on making sure that, but it's not just about saving, it's about investing. Yes. So there's a difference. I think we were taught saving when we were, like when we were young and growing up, it's like saving the dollar and spending the dollar, but also investing. And so I think investing, I wish it was taught earlier. And something that I did grow up with, but I am trying to be really conscious with my, my girls, especially, um, is just like getting out in front of people and talking to people. I think that there is, I think that especially now what I'm so afraid of, like our whole life is behind screens and that we're not comfortable actually meeting face to face. We're not comfortable. People don't even want to pick up the phone anymore. It's just all about like this, the screen time and the text time. So I do believe that it is important um, to ensure that kids are out, like we are talking to people, that we um, have those assignments, that we're doing those internships, we're public speaking, we're, you know, leading stuff. And I do think that all of that like debate and all of those things are so important. Uh, and I had a lot of opportunity uh, growing up to do that because my parents were maniacal about us like like being in front of the business. And like my like every weekend I would go have to work at the stores and things like that. But it wasn't like work as in like child labor kind of work. It'd be like go run the register and go take the next 10 customers. And it'd be like the most daunting thing to do because I'm like, oh my God, I have to talk to someone. But I look back at those things and I'm so grateful for always being like pushed to go like yeah. in front. And so I try to do that with my girls, but we need more interaction with each other. And I think that that's really diminishing. And I'm really like, I, I really want the world to be connected in a more meaningful way. And that really is relationships and, you know, giving people real time like I am doing here today. And so I think that this is important and it's a lost art. So do it, get out there, get out of your screens because shit doesn't happen behind the screen. It happens in real life. And so I think that that's important. So say yes. Say yes to the getting in the room. Say yes to showing up to that conference. Say yes to showing up for the thing um, because I, it is important. Two final comments on that, which I absolutely love the fact that you said that, especially being a mom with, with, with two young kids at home, that you're shaping their future. I look back at my wife and I, and it's like we did this with intentionality. I don't care if you're 6 or 16, you're ordering from, yes. from from the menu to the server. Yes. I'm not ordering for you. I'm not speaking for you. Yeah. And it's those small things that they start adding up and they start they compounding. Do. Then all of a sudden, yes, you end up with, with young adults, 15-year-olds and 18-year-olds, if you're me, who aren't afraid to speak to quote-unquote adults. Yeah. So I love the fact that, that you're doing that. So look, you have a happy hour to get to. I have a workout session that I need to get to. I am so grateful that you took the time to drive up because you had to drive north to get to my office from your office. So to drive up here so we can spend time together so my audience could be introduced to you. Look, y'all, The CEO School. It's a podcast. It's a website. It's a community. It's a movement. You want to check it out, especially if you're female and you really care about becoming the next badass at your company or even starting your own company. But she's Sunira, I'm Dustin. You have just tuned in 
to the most recent episode of the Loan Officer Podcast. That is all the time we have for you today, but we look forward to catching you on the next episode. Thank you.